and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am your host, Mark Ambrosio. And I'm your co-host, Brittany Melton. Brittany, are you familiar at all with the uh, discipline kinesiology, or have you taken any classes in kinesiology? I can be honest and say no. (laughs) I have very little, aside from the fact that I know my own body, kind of. um, I've never taken a class. I'm not familiar with the discipline, so I'm ready to learn something today. Same here, and I'll I'll give a shout-out to my uncle, a a, a teacher of kinesiology, um, a long-time teacher of of phys ed, uh, but... uh, we have with us here someone who will introduce us to the university discipline of kinesiology. Why don't you introduce yourself? Pleasure uh, to be here. I'm Thomas. I'm a PhD student at Western doing kinesiology. Thank you. Welcome, Thomas Irish. Um, I'm wondering if perhaps you would like to uh, tell us a little about your academic journey. What brought you here to Western? Oh, great question. I don't know how far should I go back, but... I came to Western mainly to work with my supervisor. And I met him in 2018 in Vancouver when I had my first international conference. And it, it, got, it got to the point where I was like, whoa, this is something that I would love to do. And I did my, I did my presentation there. Then my supervisor, David, he was asking me some questions and then he did his presentation and then I was asking him questions. So we, we kind of like form a friendship bond from there. Then he gave me his business card. Yeah. Uh, which I find it weird at the time because no one really had that business card. And he said that if you ever think about doing your PhD or something, just having a chat, because I was doing my master's back then. And yeah, then I was like, PhD, oh, goodness me, no. <laughs> And that was in 2018, and then far track to 2021, I would like I would working with a I would working at a job, but it was like a one year contract job, and I was like I've always been in in the academic field because I was doing my research pe- paper then, and I didn't want to lose my connection with people, and I and I still have my supervised business card on my phone that when I was working from home, during, it was like during COVID period. And I was like, you know what, let me just drop in an email and see where the head at. And, and then at the time there was the virtual conference as well. So he was the keynote speaker. And yeah, and the thing I did was email him, had a team chat, and then here I am at Western. And so, Thomas, so has your entire uh, educational journey, were you always in kinesiology or did you kind of jump ship from another home or another discipline? Uh, I've always been in a sports field. I think uh, every time I moved to Canada, if like everyone say kinesiology, I was like, uh. <laughs> but yeah, um, I've always been in um, kinesiology from the day I would like a little kid I've always been an active person right. so yeah okay cool. cool our listeners our observant listeners will have noticed that you your erudite manner and accent and sophisticated accent and you are from uh, England is that correct and yeah. maybe where, where in England are you from and what university did you go to previously so I'm I'm originally from the proper side of London the UK <laughs> the um, side. so yeah I'm yes. from East London um I was born in London, but I'm from the Caribbean, and then I moved to UK when I was four years old. Yeah, so I went to university in Anglo-Watkin, which is like 
Cambridge campus, there's like three different campuses, which is like London, Chelmsford, Peterborough, four, and Cambridge. Um, so I went that and then did my undergrad and master's there. That's really cool. Um, I mean, I just visited London, by the way, so we can talk about that after. But <laughs> but I just got back um, to the other London. Um, I am super. I mean, I want I want to hear about your research. I guess maybe we start there and just say, do you want to just tell us about what you think, what the shape of your research is? Like, what what kind of what do you think it's going to be about at this point? Uh, it's interesting that you say that because. When I was doing my undergrad, I've never been the person that who is into the the physiology side of sports or the biomechanics. Because I've always found that black and white so boring, didn't really excite me. And when I was doing my undergrad dissertation, you know, everyone everyone out in the my department were talking about the hy- hypothesis for what is different between running and walking and I'm like I don't want to talk about that I want to talk about personal experience it, it, that academic enough and then yeah so yeah my research is more focusing on the deaf community uh, and sports and how sports saved my life um, because you know growing up I had a lot of barriers that I had to go through and sports were something that took me into a different world that I learned a lot about life. You know, um, I remember the day that I started playing basketball. I remember when I was uh, doing athletic and I used to train like, continuously. And then it got to the point when I was like, no, well, I don't want to train by myself. I'd rather be with people. So yeah, and then I just wanted to get my void out there. So when I was doing my dissertation, I wrote my first story and then I presented it to my previous supervisors and they were like, are you all right, Thomas? Like, this is very powerful. Um, and then it just kind of like got into the knock-on effect of doing that, yeah. Yeah, and then do you see yourself as doing something along the lines of talking to other people who have used sport as a means of... of um, like working through some of those hurdles uh, within the deaf community. Yeah, yeah, and also I don't necessarily see sport as a physical aspect. I see sport as translating things into society about teaching people based on their identity, the culture, because that's how sports have moved into nowadays as it's supposed to be, you know, bigger, better, stronger. I mean, yeah. And that is the foundation side of sports. But then if you're watching the Olympics or any other World Cup, there's always people advocating for so many different things. And that is something that I always like. The community you know? of yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Thomas, you're giving us a lot to think about. You mentioned the f- there's the physical aspect, obviously, to sports, and the non-physical aspects, things like identity. And I know, for example, in England, Football culture is very big, or soccer, as we would say here in North America. And people, I found it very interesting, people like politicians and celebrities will sometimes, as part of their, like, introducing themselves, will say, you know, I'm so-and-so, I work at such-and-such a place, and I'm a Man City fan. And yeah. they'll say, <laughs> they'll say, like, well, the, you know, like, we won't, we would never do that here. But it's very interesting that I, the close association between sports fandom and personal identity 
Which leads me to ask you, you've spoken about deaf culture, you've spoken about the importance of sports in your life personally, and I'm wondering if you could speak to that intersection of sports, which seems to be very, may otherwise seem to be very ableist, but what connection does sports have to the deaf community and what does it mean for the deaf community? So growing up, you know, when I was looking into sport in the deaf community, okay, let me... I've never really got into a deaf sport later in when I was just joining my undergrad. Uh, so sports in the deaf community, deaf community, it's not about everyone does sign language and we have to take our hearing devices out and then, you know, because of health and safety regulation. And it's just that, you know, for me is that that's what a lot of research is saying about sports and nowadays, but for me, it doesn't have that meaning to it because I wanted to find out, you know, based on how we can change that identi identity based on being a w representing a country. So let's say, like, I born in the Caribbean, I born in Antigua, and then I move to the UK. So culturally, I speak like the British people, I behave like them, I act like them. So the culture of the British in America is not, you know, America culture isn't about eating burger or they're like Donald Trump, for example. <laughs> you know, there's it so isn't. much, <laughs> but it's so much more about yes. American culture and there's so much more about the British culture. And in the deaf community, the American and Canadian and the British culture are so different. But uh, what's so fascinating to me is that even though that they have their own language sign language but we always find a way that brings everyone together and for my research it's more about looking into race in deaf sport i'm not talking about something about racism but i'm talking something about how it's important to see different background and and ethnicity and how we can learn so much more about the deaf culture you know deaf culture isn't about how uh, i can sign this and then what but it's so much issue that needed to be addressed and heard of um to the public yeah and i'm also using sport as a great pathway to um navigate that interesting i um our research is really different mine and yours however i feel like they're actually so close to being the same um in that I, when I read your kind of like what you were doing for your work, I was like, wow, I see there's a lot of overlap here. I study gender and um, and how that's communicated and people create communities on Reddit. And so to me, I'm like the the overlaps here, like you talking about being deaf and being part of a deaf community is not just being that. It's multiple things. I mean, being a woman is more than being a woman. You're, you're lots of things. Yeah. Um, and when I read it, I wondered how much, like, had you ever thought about I mean, and I hate these kinds of questions. Have you ever thought about taking an intersectional approach, like talking about not just, I mean, also masculinity as well is something that's super inherent in sport and not in a bad way or a good way, but it's just something that people can find community and often men in, uh, find a way to communicate emotionally uh, through sports as well. And so even more than just uh, like just deafness on its own or or uh, race on its own and then all of these things and how they kind of come together. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, I identified myself as black deaf guy, a black deaf man, 
but then there will be some deaf people out there that do not identify as black, but they identify as deaf because they have no connection to the family or the black culture. So they find that sense of connection of being with the deaf people. And then for me is that growing up, I didn't have a hearing, I'm sorry, I didn't have a deaf family or deaf generation. I've been brought up with both my parents are hearing and I've been taught how to speak. I didn't learn my deaf identity until I went to a boarding school, secondary school, just high school. Uh, and then, you know, I was learning sign language and understanding how the culture, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, sh- I should fit into that because, you know, I've, I've struggled with that when I was at primary school or in the real world, and then I'm like, hang on a minute, no, no, I don't believe that because that doesn't make sense. Um, and then people say, oh, you shouldn't have hearing aids or cochlear implants because, you know, that, that is the ablest way to in, say, eradicate the deaf community, mm-hmm. the deaf culture that have been embedded for so many years. And for me, it's like, how come we're not hearing these stories out there? Yeah. Um, and um, I'm glad that you brought up about the masculinity and everything else. Like, I've learned a lot of different things. Um, you know, my father is also a teacher, and he t- he's always been an emotive person as well. So I've been very fortunate to have him to say, well, he thought he's also a storyteller, mm-hmm. and he would tell me about a lot of things that he have done in his in his life, as well as my mum as well. So that kind of made me into the person that I want to talk about. People, talk to people, learn about the culture, learn about why why this is happening and how can we, you know, change the world in a different way. Yeah, because to me it seems like there's, I mean, there's all of these things happening, right? And then and on top of that, when you're telling your own story uh, through your research, you're also talking about like, so you've got your your dad as a, as a major figure in your life, but you also have the community that you build through sport as well. Um, and I don't know a lot about the boarding school system, but I think a lot of them are same sex, are they not? Or like typically they split? No, my boarding school is met with boarding oh, okay, girls. Cool. Okay, yeah. I was gonna say because I thought, even though, you know what? We're all, we can be <laughs> wrong sometimes. <laughs> um, to say that often, I mean, here a lot of sport is separated. So then you have like uh, a basketball team in high school where it's all girls or all boys versus a mixed team, yeah. almost always. Yeah, um, my boarding school is met a bunch of a lot of different people. Um, I mean, I was the head boy back then, so I was trying to you know, find a way to bring things together. And yeah, it, it's the best school that I've went to for the education part, mm-hmm. um, because I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for them. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned your boarding school, uh, uh, was it especially for deaf people? And, and can you maybe tell us about how your parents, you and your parents, or came to choose that school, and what formative role did it play in your life, in your education, and your personal identity? Yeah, um, my parents didn't choose that school. I okay. did. Oh, <laughs> very um, good. I, I would give an option of different school, but my boarding school have a massive field that was drawn draw to me, and it's a better school for the deaf, and it made, okay, the, the, the positive and negative about my boarding school, but, you know, I think it, for the deaf community, they didn't like the approach of my boarding school being an oral, oralism school where everyone had to speak. 
Um, but for me, it wasn't an issue because I've always been a person that like, prefers to speak as opposed to sign. And yeah, so it's everyone deaf, and then we have like a headphone for being in class to be able to hear the teacher. It's very small, so it's like ten of us in the class out okay. of like, but it's total of like two hundred students. Um, and it. It was a grammar school, so how I got in was I had to do a, a, a dam and then I have to part so that I can go into the school. And the council refused to pay for the school because it's quite expensive, it's far away. And then my dad, my mum and dad had to fight for the case um, with my boarding school support. And then with that, I got into that, yeah. That's very interesting. And you mentioned earlier your identity as a black deaf man. Yeah. You're born in Antigua. You grew up in London. And now here you are in the other London. And uh, London, Ontario, where's that? <laughs> and uh, so here you are. And I'm wondering, can you speak to that that topic of identity that Brittany was speaking to earlier? Like how much of that is, uh, is of that identity, were you born with that? And how much of that identity have you constructed? Okay. So... I was born. I was born partially hearing, so I had Pendleton syndrome, which is like a far word affect my hearing. And then my hearing got progressively worse until the age of fourteen. That's when I started to get cochlear implants. Growing up, I never accept my deafness as a disability, uh, because you know I'm like I can do all things except I can't hear, and. I mean, that's what I've been taught during my boarding school because everyone said that being deaf is not a disabled, you know. It, mm-hmm. it, and then from I was contracting in the way of being happy as a deaf guy, a deaf person. And I remember that when I first, my, when I first met my supervisor, he asked me that question. And I'm like, how could this person ask me the question out of everyone else? That's what towards me to him and he said do you identify do you think you're definitely disability or not and I went nah it's not a disability but then you know I like to have a self-reflection every day and you know reflect on life and how I the person that I want to improve and when the death of George Floyd happened in 2020 you know that that kind of brought all of my memories back of when I was at boarding school and outside school. And I was like, hang on a minute. Did, when I published my first article about how sports saved my life, and you know, because being deaf and so, I'm like, did this experience happen because I was deaf or because of my black identity? And that's when I kind of realized that, you know, I am what you see first, like, based on what you see on your eye, I'm a black person. Mm -hmm. But then that, but it really depends on how people see to identify first, second, third. And the reason why I put black first, because it is what I see and it is who I am every single day. But then my definite comes after. But then it's only because I get so contra- I get contracted in a way that 
when I introduced myself, I said, hey, my name is Thomas. Just let you know that I'm deaf. So make sure you look at me when he's speaking and take his time and so on. And people say, oh, yeah, and so on, no problem. We get that through. And then someone might make a comment about my black identity, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. How do I, you know, address these issues? So for me, it's like reminding myself that you will always be a black person first and then your definite answer. But people in the disability community will always be in um, thinking about their disability first. Yeah. Uh, because that, they have been, you know, live and breathe the way they operate themselves in the world. So it's easy to... But it really, it, it really depends on how they feel strongly at and, and you, you're constantly changing every single day. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that, uh, to like, I mean, I've been like deep in the trenches of reading recently. So from like what I gather, at least when I'm looking at stuff that's about age and, and disability and class, these things that are like necessarily, like you said, you, you not like, it's not necessarily immediately a marker. Actually, I guess gender isn't either, but often it is, um, this is the world um and so in that way there are these things that like we navigate being uh you know uh, a a woman first and then like disabled second in the same way that i think though that often the communities and the the narrative that's that's uh dominating and specifically in, in disability and age and um in class these spaces is often that of a white narrative and that's because they're that's something that they don't have to think about is that they're white like they don't have to think about that and so instead they can look to their disability instead of uh having to worry about race as a as a thought at all in the same way that these it's i I feel like i'm navigating this a lot online if it's if you can't see a person then how do you immediately identify them? And it's through the way that they communicate online. Like, it still is happening. But uh, we may not be able to, like, uh, if we did this over Zoom without a camera, then then if you started by saying, uh, like, and talking, then race wouldn't have necessarily been a factor. But you talk about how you don't necessarily think about race because, uh, or, or you, it's just what you are, right? Um, and so I think it's this complicated I'm, it's a it, it's uh, you can't un- untwine them right they're just they're they're inherent they live together yeah right? yeah i mean that's the same for the gender community where you know how we introduce people when you're doing a presentation and instead of saying hello ladies and gentlemen it's about hey or hello everyone else um everyone um it's about how do you bring everyone together and that brought back to my my research paper about explaining the three individuals of the black that person and they were talking about that you know being in being deaf is more of an issue than being black but then uh, that's when I had an interview with them we were talking about their experiences but then after I stopped the recording they start talking about the black in, in terms of you know I have my favorite sport is basketball because the role model is Michael Jordan, Stephen Curry, you know, LeBron James, and then they would say, "Oh, I wouldn't really necessarily do swimming." I'm like, "Why?" Because it's a white sport. Then I'm like, "Oh, if the media portrayed those 
to change change the narrative and change the perception of that. It's like we we will never really get away with it. But it's like how do you normalize thing without being normalized? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, what you raised is actually a very interesting point, which was my thought right when you sat down. And that's, I I now know it's because your supervisor is homed in, in kinesiology or sport. But otherwise, I really could see you in my own program, which is media studies, because not only studying, like, portrayals in the media, which representation is huge, but it's also just studying culture and life and identity and community and all these things. And so it's... Like, I I wonder, do you find yourself, like, happy and homed in, in kinesiology? Or do you find yourself, like, um, because in, uh, for me, coming out of a different program, I found that it was too numbers-based. And I wanted to be very, uh, I wanted to be very, talk, let's talk about our emotions, let's talk about our experience, let's talk about life, let's talk about culture. Um, and I wonder if that happens in kinesiology, too, where there's a lot of focus on, on the numbers and the body and and um, and less on the the experience in life and like application. Um, it really depends on who you bump into. I guess so. Or maybe yeah, your cohort. It, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. it really depends on who you bump into. I mean, I've been very fortunate enough to meet a lot of people with in my field that are doing different things like one of my good friends is focusing on gender focusing on disability focusing on race or just or technology or so many different things and when they share the piece of research i'm like wow we should connect and do these things but i don't know it really depends on <laughs> what people are into but yeah. yeah i know that in kinesiology there's an area called sociocultural kinesiology which yeah. is where you're situated yeah where you're studying it's not so much anatomical per se as it is what types of questions that Brittany might look at in media studies so just as Brittany is giving you an elevator pitch for why you should transfer to media <laughs> studies we could give out Al- Brittany an elevator <laughs> pitch as to why she should transfer to kinesiology but I went speaking of kinesiology can you give like us a layperson's uh pitch as to like, what are you studying and why does that matter? Okay, so I'm doing social, social cultural studies in kinesiology. I don't really like saying that because it's just a long, so many words. I just like to say sports anthropology in a way that kind of simplified, I guess. That's a good way of putting it, sports it, anthropology. Yeah, I think, I hope my supervisor will tell me that I'm saying the right thing. But and and we'll what's your see. supervisor's name? David Howe. David yeah, Howe. Yeah, he, he's great. Um, so, for my research is, well, I've, I just finished my first year of my PhD, so I'm going into my second year with, like, grind time. <laughs> uh, so, it, for me to kind of put pieces together to really figure out what I really want to get out, because I know that I want to talk about deaf sport, but I want to talk about race, uh, because when I see work on other people that they have done um, I just think that they're missing the embodied embodiment experiences of that people um, and the culture itself and yeah I just want to kind of try and make it into narrative, creative narrative based on writing in the present moment and then trying to make it into a book but it's my aim 
to into like for general audience that they, they can read it and be like wow this is really fascinating rather than making it too academic if that's it makes sense. <laughs> i'm trying to put the boundaries a bit more so yeah okay. that's very interesting doing good work <laughs> and so I'm sorry. I think our time is up. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to read if I'm reading the room right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, first and foremost, you are a storyteller, and you've shared with us that you run a blog, and you are also starting a podcast. And so I, I want to give you the opportunity to just kind of plug them in right here, and then we'll make sure that we give the actual links and handles for everyone in our in our description for the episode. So go ahead. Yeah, so my blog is just basically www.tomatavid.com and my podcast is Black Deaf Guy. So, yeah. Perfect. As we've been discussing, right? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I've been your host, Mark Ambrosio, and my co-host was Brittany Melton. We've been speaking with Thomas Irish. And this episode was produced by Jordan Vandenberg. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow up with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can find all our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Thomas, for joining us today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me.